So I'd like to begin at the beginning tonight to remind you where we started, which is something I spoke about on the first evening when we began the retreat. I talked about the the holiday of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the days of awe and the days of awe leading up to this day of atonement. And I thought I would begin again by talking about atonement and what that means. And I like to look in dictionaries and see what words mean because I find they reveal more than I know. And one of the key components of, of um, Buddhist practice that's often understated, which is about the import of understanding. And it's one of the metaphors the Buddha uses for awakening is understanding. And then, of course, it, it rains down from the Dharma in terms of understanding the truth or understanding reality or understanding what causes suffering and what leads to the end of suffering. And there's all kinds of um, respect, appreciation, uh, for understanding itself. And so the word atonement is the action of setting at one, setting at one, or the condition of being set at one. In other words, after discord or strife, one becomes one with oneself or with others. And of course, this is pointing at in what Buddhism we talk about is that dukkha, there's strife, there's stress, there's difficulty. And then there's the end of discord. And discord, if you look up that word, the word discord itself is a heart word. And, um, and so the, the atonement at one meant, at one meant, the condition of being at one with self or others, right? Unity of feeling, harmony, concord. Concord, like accord, is also a heart word. Um, uh, concord, agreement. This is part of the goal of practice. There is, There are some goals here. And the goal is to come into harmony, to accord, to concord with what's, alive and sitting in your seat and with the rest of the world as it is. And I want to be careful saying that because it doesn't mean we don't want to change things or change the world or change ourselves at times, but it's coming into harmony with the truth of reality and how reality unfolds so that we can respond appropriately, skillfully, kindly, wisely, both to ourselves and to the world. Atonement means the restoration of friendly relations between persons who have been at variance, it's reconciliation, the settling of differences, the staunching of strife, Great words, staunching, staunching, staunching of strife. And of course, the strife that we're 
um, uh, staunching here is the strife with ourselves, which I don't know if anybody, any of you have experienced any discord with oneself or strife with yourself while you're here, but it happens sometimes on retreat, maybe for one or two of us. But it is part of what the atonement is pointing at, is this relaxation of the strife. And the word comes from, I, I also like to look up the etymology because it's very revelatory and illuminating where the word comes from and to hear originally how it was understood. Um, and the atonement comes from the word atone, right? It said, apparently a prior formation due to an earlier one meant one mint, a word, one mint, right. um, uh, denoting unity or reconciliation, especially between God and humans. Right? So it had a religious connotation, this one mint from at one mint, at one mint. And that was influenced by the Latin of unity and earlier one meant from the verb one, which was a verb, uh, which meant to unite. At one meant, at tone meant, to unite, to become one with what's here, with ourselves, with the life that's here, with the goodness that's here, with the heartfulness that is sitting in every seat in this room. And uh, I love the at one mint. I had to look up the mint, M-E-N-T, which I didn't know exactly. It means a forming uh, of a noun expressing the result of an action like excite. There's excitement, right? Or, or if you're feeling merry, there's merriment comes. So it's a state of consciousness that's being pointed at. A state of consciousness, atonement, at one minute. And I'll say more about it as we go through the talk and keep pointing at it as your experience, as you're hopefully beginning to experience becoming one with this moment. And I'll say more about that because this is, this is it right now. This is the only moment there is right now. And to just, and, and whatever it is, opening to it or relaxing with it or being aware of it. And I'll say, I want to say a little more about the tra trajectory of practice. And I'll quote an old good friend, Zen Master Dogen, um, who said, to study the Buddha way, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. Okay, you get that? That that's what we're doing here? We're studying what's here. We're studying ourselves. Right? And of course, he goes on. I don't want to shortcut him at all. 
To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To to study the self is to forget the self. To study the self is to forget the self. And to forget the self is to be awakened or become intimate. Same word translated from the Japanese, right? To forget the self is to be awakened or become intimate with all things. And that is a really beautiful understanding of what practice is about, about what we're doing here. We're becoming intimate with all things. We're becoming intimate with ourselves and relaxing ourself, relaxing our identity, relaxing our holding on to our ideas and our beliefs and how it should be and how it shouldn't be and what we think and really becoming intimate with the way things are now. And I hope this resonates for you, even somewhat. Uh, remember Tuere, when she opened the retreat and talked, she talked about retreat as a game changer. And it is. It's a game changer. It changes the whole deal. It changes our understanding of reality and who and what we are. And it's a good, it's a good game you've got yourself in for Really, it's a beautiful game, and it's been, it's been being. It was a game that's been given to us for twenty six hundred years, and people have woken up for twenty six hundred years with this game that we're calling meditation, or being present, or being aware, and seeing what is true. And it includes our uncomfortableness, our our unhappiness, what we don't like. To where I had that great line from the Zen guy where she said, she, she quoted, misery is the compost to achieve liberation. Misery is the compost to achieve liberation. So it's totally new age PC, you know, compost is good. <laughs> We're all doing compost these days. And it's good, you get liberation. <laughs> she said one other thing that I said, yeah, stop doing and pay attention. <laughs> and that's all we're doing is paying attention. Last night, Devin talked about the hindrances, the different, the terrain of the ups and downs of what obscures what we care about and what we seek and what we desire. In one of the groups today, we had an interesting talk about the word desire. And some people sometimes think in Buddhism, you're not supposed to desire anything, which is not my understanding at all. You can desire anything, and you will desire whatever you want, right? But you want to be aware of 
what you're desiring and see if what you're desiring makes you happy or not, brings freedom or not. And, um, and, and I did, and I'll say this because I said it in the group today, the Buddha was fierce about what he desired. I mean, he had a serious desire. We would, we would say these days he had desire issues. <laughs> and his desire was for awakening. And he was fierce about it, even to the point where he'd, he did a number of other practices and he was good at them. And, and the teachers in those, in those traditions said, oh, you should stay here and teach. You got it. He said, no, no, this is not enough. There's more that I want. And he wanted it. He desired it. And they said, no, this is all you can get. And he said, no, no, I'm, I don't believe you. I don't, whatever you think, I know there's more. And he went for it. He went for what he cared about, what touched him, what he was moved by. And he devoted himself to that. Mm. Mm. And the hindrances are part of it. Part of our practice is really just engaging with them, recognizing that, becoming aware of them, and see how they reveal the depth as they relax. They reveal about the depth of what we want. Right? I was watching my aversion to the mask while I was practicing just now with you all and, and the aversion. And, I, and of course, I just let the aversion be there. I'm not going to get rid of it. I, no, no offense to anybody whose masks are their thing, but I hate masks. And, and so I just felt that hate and the heat that came and the warmth from the mask and the, my body and this and the aversion, aversion, aversion. And then relaxing with the aversion, not trying to get rid of it, not trying to change it. Just be aware of it and seeing it's not the whole story anyways, right? There is aversion and it's, I feel it. Sometimes I think I'm an aversive type. There are different types in Buddhism. But mostly I think I'm a greed type. I just want what I want. But, but it, with staying with the aversion, it just, it's so beautiful because you can just see consciousness is bigger than aversion. Awareness is more than aversion. Being aware of the aversion already starts to bring some freedom from the aversion. And so at one mint is about becoming one with our experience here, now, right? And we need our full practice to do it. We need, you know, uh, somebody was talking about um, um, right effort in the questions this morning, which was great. And, and, and the whole question about how do you don't do anything but you make effort and what's right effort. And I, I love the question because um, 
it's an it's a paradox what's being pointed at about right effort because there are many different ways right efforts um, uh, understood and I'm first I'm going to start with the word right because if you look up the word right it has a number of different meanings like right and wrong but that's not what it means in terms of the Dharma when we talk about right understanding which is part of the eightfold path or right intention or right speech or right livelihood or all the rights or right effort or right mindfulness or right concentration right means to bring one in accord with the truth to bring one in accord with the truth that's what right means in the dharma that's what right effort is it's effort that brings us in accord with the truth and as i believe i've already said dharma means truth right we're 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 are the skillful means of right effort or right you know right intention or or right effort is about bringing us into accord with the dharma with the truth of the way things are and the freedom that is possible that can come when we allow ourselves to relax in a way that includes the effort of non-effort or the effort of relaxed effort maybe that's a slightly better way to say it mm. and in you know and effort means there's some discipline there there's some um there's a certain kind of steadfastness about what we're doing and giving ourselves to the practice of the dharma and to waking up that is part of right effort and there's not just steadfastness there's a devotion it's a heartfelt giving oneself to what one cares about whatever it is that brought you here right which i mean we could do a popcorn there'd be a lot of different reasons people came but whatever it is that's a heartfelt wish whether it's for freedom or liberation or or just you know to feel better it's all heartfelt and different teachers talk about effort in different ways suzuki roshi said right effort is to get rid of something extra right effort is to get rid of something extra suzuki roshi is brilliant cuz he's just saying oh it's just about being here now and relaxing with whatever's here now cuz this is it because we want to be disciplined or devote ourselves or discover what this moment this life that's alive here right now this is it this is your whole life right now and tell me if i'm wrong but everything else is an idea whether it's wherever you came from or whoever you've been for the last you know 
20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Those are all ideas. Whatever's happened before, whatever's going to happen, those are all ideas. This is the only moment that's alive, is right now. And the life of your body, heart, and mind, you're feeling tired or uncomfortable or the body hurts, pain. Anybody have any pain today? Right? Great. Welcome to the pain club. You know, I mean, it's just part of it. I have pain, you know, in sitting. It's part of the deal. It's actually not just sitting. If you don't move... For any amount of time, sooner or later, it gets uncomfortable. It's just how it is, right? And of course, we've had pain in our hearts. I would, I would guess everybody's had some sadness or fear or anger or wish that we were somewhere else than where we are. That's a very common form of pain. Or our mind, our thoughts about who we are or what we are. One of the things that we work with a lot at the beginning of the retreat is the judging mind. So much judgment. And here's the really good news. Your self-judgments, you ready for this? (laughs) They won't stop. (laughs) Sorry, that's not what I thought I was going to (laughs) say. But it's true, they probably won't. <laughs> but, but here's what I was going to say. <laughs> Your self-judgments are not true. Their beliefs, their ideas, they're not true. Whatever you've done that you may regret or feel some remorse for, that may be true, but the judgment of you as being bad or wrong or not right is not true. I totally believe everybody here is doing the best they can. And it could be, you know, it could sound really Pollyannish, but in fact, it's true. And, and why be angry at oneself? when you're doing the best you can. That's all you can do anyways. And if you can do better, you will. But you're still only doing the best you can. And so watch out for any self-judgment. Don't believe it. Don't buy into it. Don't bow down to it as if it's true. Ajahn Chah, when he talked about right effort, he called it proper effort. He said, proper effort is not the effort to make something particular happen. It is not the, it is, it is not the effort to make something particular happen. It is the effort to be aware and awake in each moment. It's so simple. Right? the effort to make each activity of our day meditation. 
whether you're sitting or walking or standing or lying down or moving your limbs or having food or going to the bathroom, it's all practice. That's right effort, just to get that. And if you want to really play with it and tell me I'm wrong, which I'm, I'm always happy to hear if I'm wrong, because I'm wrong sometimes, once in a while. <laughs> no, no I'm, of course I'm wrong. And you le I learn from people telling me when I'm wrong. It helps. But take one day on this retreat, like from now till tomorrow at the talk, and just be mindful 24-7. Right? When, when you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're eating, when you're pissing, when you're shitting, when you're getting in bed, when you're waking up. Okay? Just one day. You don't have to do any more than that. And then see what happens. Because that's a radical act to do that. To be with oneself and stay aware of what's here without adding anything on, as Suzuki Roshi said, to get rid of something extra. Don't add anything extra. Just be with the direct experience of aliveness, of being alive, of, of being alive and conscious. And so one of the keys that I always say is to relax and open to each moment, right? Whether we like the moment or not, that's the hard part, because we don't like all the moments. I don't like all the moments. And it's my practice, to, as best I can, not perfect, but good enough, to keep being present and opening and relaxing with things even when I don't like them. And what that means is relaxing around them or letting my consciousness envelop them and be bigger than them because your consciousness is bigger than any one experience. And it takes a while to get that sometimes. And when I say get it, I mean get it experientially because in the Dharma, that's where the goodies are. That's where the juice is, in the experiential reality. The understanding that is pointed at comes through experience, not just through thinking about. And thinking's not bad. It's only something that consciousness does. It's something that we do. Thoughts happen. And you can be aware of thinking. Your consciousness is bigger than your thoughts. That's a good thing Eugene Cash just said. <laughs> yeah, really. Really, it's true. Because we're so, not everybody, but many of us are so identified with our thoughts. How many people believe their thoughts? Come on, own up to it. I mean, it's wild. If you could see my thoughts, would you believe them? <laughs> believe me, you would not believe <laughs> what my mind thinks at times. I mean, some of it you might believe, but other stuff would be like, oh my God, where does that guy come from? How did that happen? 
Uh, that's what I think sometimes, is where the hell did these thoughts come from? And why should I believe them? And are they mine? That's a good Dharma question. That's big doubt question, right? Remember, there's big, I don't know if this got said in the hall or not, but I'm saying it sometimes is what's called um, uh, big doubt and small, and small doubt when talking about the hindrances. And, and Devin was uh, talking about small doubt and all the things that keep us from actually doing what we came here to do, which is be here and be present and be aware. But big doubt is part of what brought us here, which is, okay, what is possible for myself as a human being? What's the potential for humans to be free right here, right now? That's part of big doubt, big wonder, big, big not knowing. Hmm. So relaxing around things, whether we like them or not, whether they're good or bad or right or wrong or, or yes or no, or whether we want them or we don't want them, and seeing that we can actually be aware of them. And the awareness... The awareness never suffers. We suffer. I'm not trying to negate the fact that we suffer, but the awareness is not suffering when it's aware of something. This is another Eugene Cash quote, but that I like, though, really. Probably my best quote. (laughs) It's true. Um, Awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. Awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. And really, just check for yourself and see. We get bound to things. Our ego identity, the small sense of self, gets bound to things. But the awareness is not bound. It's just open. It's free. It's just aware of whatever. It, whatever. It's aware. Whatever we do. Any, I could do anything, and you could be aware of it. And I like to throw this in. Usually I wait till a little later in the retreat, but it's just popped up, even though it's not in the talk. Um, here. Everybody, I want you to do one thing, please. And, you know, and if don't yell at me for telling you to do that something, but I'm telling you. Uh, stop being aware. No, no, don't, don't give me any shit. Stop it. Stop being aware. Can anybody stop being aware? Somebody gave me uh, this sign, you know, like sleep, but you're not sleeping now, so you can't stop being aware right now. And of course, this is, do you know what this means to Eugene Cash? This, do you know who the Golden State Warriors are? No, you don't. Well, I bow to you. <laughs> it's good. It's a basketball team here, and it's very good. And when the best player hits a, the great shot that it's clear it's going to win the game, he goes like this, when it, like it's night-night time for the other team. <laughs> so that's my association with your night. 
But really, and that's even a whole nother question we could look at. Is there no awareness when you're sleeping or how do you know dreams? So that, but that's a whole different question. But right, nobody could not be aware right now. So where is the awareness if you're not in control of it? And I'm not asking for a verbal answer, but just look. Because we so, we're so identified with what we're aware of. And here, and we want to be able to know what we're aware of. That's very important, very healthy, every which way to know what you're aware of. But we never look and see where's the awareness itself. And if it's ours, then why can't we stop it? I mean, you know, this is my mask. I can take it off. But I can't stop awareness. Just something to seep in. It's a nice word, seep in. As we get deeper in practice and being aware of body and we'll keep opening it up to body and you know vedna and then feelings and thoughts and then the dharmas so one of the things that happen as we give ourselves to each moment as we start becoming a little devoted to practice to being here 24 7 and being aware is that samadhi starts to happen. And samadhi is an important component of the dharma, of Buddhism. It's one of the um, components of the Eightfold Path, samadhi. It's in a lot of the important lists, samadhi. right? And samadhi is often translated as concentration, or union, or unification, or absorption, or immersion, or oneness, like at one with, at one-ment, uh, becoming one with. And um, in Sanskrit, it means to establish or make firm our dedication to being aware and awake moment by moment by moment. There's a, a slightly richer um, uh, way to talk about samadhi from the Tibetan tradition, which said samadhi is a non-dualistic state of consciousness in which the consciousness of the experienced subject becomes one with the experienced object, thus is only experiential content. And what that means I'll say it again. Samadhi is a non-dualistic state of consciousness in which the consciousness of the experiencing subject, Eugene, right, is the experiencing subject, becomes one with the experiencing object, like the breath. Like you start to be mindful of the breath and you get closer and you start to be more intimate with it, like Dogen was talking about. And as you become intimate, it's here, this is a good way to see it if your eyes are open, as you get closer and closer, you become intimate with it and you're not separate. You become the breath. That's what it, it feels like. The, the awareness, the consciousness 
becomes one with what it's aware of. And then there's this oneness or unity or absorption or sometimes one-pointed concentration. And concentration is a kind of means, you know, an attention, a single-mindedness, a certain kind of uh, concentrated effort or focusing here in this experience, letting everything else fall aside. When I did very serious samadhi practice for a number of years, um, I worked with a teacher who was very strict about it. I would meet with him maybe once every other day, you know, and and I, I was here, I was practicing at Spirit Rock and other places, and I would call him. And he would say, okay, what's happening? And I'd tell him what's happening. He'd say, okay, 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 good. Stay with the breath. That, that was the whole meeting, <laughs> really. And then uh, two days later, I'd call him up and say, well, this happened, that happened, this happened, this. He'd say, okay, good. Stay with the breath. That was the whole thing. And that's all he said to me for the first two or three weeks, really. And... Uh, and then at some point, that kind of unification started to happen. And it was good. And, uh, and I knew it. I knew it was good. It was like, oh, just thoughts dropped away. There was not much thinking. It was just the breath and me. And we were becoming one. And, uh, and uh, I called him that day, I remember. And I told him what was happening. And for the first time, I heard this long pause. He went, oh, okay, good. Stay with the breath. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that's a really good teacher because that's all you need to do when you're mindful of the body and the breath is stay with the breath. Nothing else is actually important, even though we think everything else is important, our feelings and our thoughts and the other sensations. And they do have their import. I'm not trying to denigrate any of that. But there is something we're learning about becoming one with ourselves that samadhi supports. And samadhi itself supports a deepening capacity to be mindful, moment by moment, by moment. And so you can do that where, wherever you are. It's not that you have to only do it with the breath, right? I'll say a little more in a second. Concentrate, right? Con- means concentra, concentra, to bring to a common center uh, or collect one's faculties and give them a single direction, move towards a center, to come into or be in harmony or accord, again, a heartfeltness of the accord with the moment. And then from the Latin, concentron, centron, comes from the Greek, which means with a sharp point. And so the word concentrate means the point around which a circle is drawn. The point, that's a beautiful understanding, the point around, so it's not just the point, but 
there can be a concentration with everything, not just one thing. The one thing builds the muscle of that kind of unity, that at one mint. And when that and what at one mint lands, it can open and we can concentrate with whatever is here, whether we like whatever is here or we don't like it. And the example I'll give is somebody today in one of the groups who's done a fair amount of practice and she's good, good practitioner, but was having a tremendous amount of fogginess and was having a reaction to it and some self-judgment about it. And what am I doing here? And am I wasting my time or um, et cetera? And I was like, no, no, no. Can we play with it a little? And she said, yes. And, and then I said, well, feel the fogginess. Is it here now? She said, yes. I said, allow it fully. Give it full permission to be here and just be aware of what the experience of fogginess is like without having to change it or fix it. And she, there was a pause for a little bit and she said, oh, that's good, that's better because she could concentrate, she could become one with the fogginess, even though it's not what she wanted to become one with, or it's not what she thought she was supposed to become with, or it doesn't sound really dharmically enlightening to become one. Oh, I went on retreat and I became one with fogginess. But in fact, there's something bigger than any one experience. There's the capacity to be aware and awake in every experience. Mm. In, the, in the Christian Bible, they say, if thine eye be single, thy body will be filled with light. And that's pointing at samadhi. So the practice that we're encouraging you to do is right here, to be right exactly where you are. And it's so simple, what we're saying. It's so simple that it's difficult. I hope you get that. And I don't, and that's not a... a it, it's very, it's very difficult because it's so simple what the practice asks you to do, asks all of us to do, which is give yourself to this moment because, as I said before, this is the only moment there is. This is it. This is your whole life is just now. And yet it's not easy to give ourselves to it because it's not how we were trained it's not what we've been taught. But just check and just for here, for 20 seconds, just be aware of whatever is here in your body, heart, and mind. Happy, sad, lots of thoughts, whatever is here. Just give yourself to it. Don't resist it for 30 seconds. And I'll time you. So, so don't undercut it either. Just give yourself and see what happens. And you don't have to like it. But you're not, we're not doing this to like things. We're doing this to wake up and be present with what's true.
Okay, that's your 30 seconds. And I just want to give that example because that's how simple it is. You can just do meditation 30 seconds at a time and see what happens. Funny, you know, I'm uh, unlike you, I have my computer and I get one, uh, one um, subscribed email every day from Sayadaw Utejaniya, who uh, Devin, I believe, mentioned last night, who's a wonderful teacher. He's taught here and very interesting person, especially for us because he was a, a lay person, a householder until somewhere at 45 or 50 and had kids, family, business. And, but he was such a deep practitioner in his business, doing apparels, I believe, yeah, um, that his teachers kept telling him he had to teach because he was so deep at practicing in regular, what we call regular life or daily life. And so I get a quote from him every day. And of course, he doesn't do the quotes. Somebody else just sends quotes of his. But, and the quote said, just be interested in the present moment and you'll be free. Just be interested in the present moment and you'll be free. And he knows something about freedom. Sayadaw Utejaniya, he's, he's a good one. Hmm. As usual, I have way too much talk. <laughs> okay. Uh, I believe Devin also mentioned the paradox of the Dharma. Yeah, and I really like that word, paradox, because it's so wild. It's not logical what we're doing, right? I mean... Really, we're, you get enlightened by sitting, walking, eating, pissing, shitting, and nothing else. I mean, it doesn't quite make logical sense. Like, it's not, oh, no, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that, and then this, and then you do this, and then after that, and then you get enlightened. I mean, that sounds more logical to us. But the beautiful paradox is something that one of my teacher's teacher used to say, he said, the whole Dharma is sitting here. The whole Dharma is right here. Right here, right in your seat. It's nowhere else or it's everywhere else, but it's really, it's right here. And I'm going to add something to what side, uh, to uh, um, Munindraji is the teacher who said it. Uh, Munindraji, um, he said, the whole Dharma is sitting here. And I'm going to add one thing, and it's good. It's good what's here. And you are the Dharma, and you are the goodness, whether you know it or not. It's really the privilege we have to be able to sit up here and, and be with you and see you from here, because we get to see the goodness that's here. Ramana Maharshi said, you are already that which you seek. You are already that which you seek. Mm. 
And I'll just say a teeny bit more about a few things, emotions, right? To study the Buddha way is to study the self. If you have a self, you're going to have emotions. It's part of the deal. It's not a mistake. They're not bad. And sometimes in some of the meetings, people will weep. And the weeping is, is such a good thing. Remember, emotion, it's about movement. You want to let the feeling move through you. And the, and the tears sometimes lubricate that movement. They're the oil for the, for the emotion to be released when there's sadness or grief or fear sometimes or shame sometimes. People were talking about shame. I had the good fortune a few years ago to, a few years, quite a while ago now, to be at the grave of um, Spinoza, the philosopher in Holland, in the Netherlands. And, it, and he said a great thing, Spinoza, very dharmic. He said, the more clearly you understand yourself and your emotions, the more you become a lover of what is more clearly you understand yourself and your emotions, the more you become a lover of what is. You become a lover of what the truth is, that we have emotions and we can love them. And love, of course, has a number of subsets, meaning we can like them or we can be kind to them. That's one of the facets of love in Buddhism is kindness or compassion towards our emotions or wonder, or a feeling of delight, or, or just the appreciation for the magic that we have in emotions. Can you imagine if we didn't have any emotions? That would be boring in my world. I mean, no emotions at all. Hmm. Last piece I'll say is about the Dharma and loving the Dharma, the emotion of loving the Dharma, of the heartfulness of loving the Dharma, and the good-heartedness of loving the truth, because it's very freeing. Rumi said it this way, love is nothing other than finding the truth. Finding the truth, and that's what we're doing here. We're learning to discover the truth of our human potential to awaken or be free or to open our hearts. And the quote I read you from Zen Master Dogen, it continues. I only read you half, so I'm going to read you the whole quote because it's paradoxical and quite beautiful. So he said, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self or relax one's identification with self. And to forget the self is to be awakened or intimate with all things. To awaken with all things is to drop off body and mind, drop off our ideas about who and what we are. 
to awaken with all things is to drop off body and mind and the body and minds of others, to drop off our ideas and beliefs about others and discover them afresh. I'm adding on here. I hope you understand that. To awaken with all things is to drop off body and mind and the body and mind of others. And then he continues, Dogen. He says, no trace of enlightenment remains. No trace of enlightenment remains. And this no trace continues endlessly. That's some deep dharma from Zen Master Dogen. And if you don't understand it, that's good. Because <laughs> it's, 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 it's pointing to the wildness of what's here and what's possible for human consciousness. So let's sit for a minute before I ring the bell. And you could sit in a very relaxed way or, or not in a relaxed way. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self, relax the self. To forget the self is to be intimate or awakened with all things. To awaken with all things is to drop off our ideas of body and mind and the body and minds of others. No trace of enlightenment remains. And this no trace continues endlessly. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll have uh, walking in about, oh, it's only a 15-minute thing. Well, whoever's ringing the bell, wait seven extra minutes before you ring the bell because I always think we have a half an hour. But Okay, so that means we'll be, it's, we'll be back at uh, 8.52. Thank you. And please, you can go. You don't have to wait for me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.